All right, well, if you have your Bible with you, let's turn to 1 Peter. Most of you know we're making our way through this great letter of 1 Peter. If you need to borrow a Bible, you can raise your hand real high, and the ushers will be happy to let you borrow a Bible so you can follow with us. Should I mess with Sarah and move all her music? <laughs> all right. We're in First uh, Peter chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 6 through 9 this morning in our time. Uh, I entitled our message, God's Purpose for Suffering. Uh, Peter is going to introduce the topic. He'll move away from it, and he's going to come back towards the end of his letter, back to it. But uh, for this morning, we'll consider the things that Peter has to say on this very important topic. All right? If you're there, I'm going to invite you to stand with me. First Peter, again, chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. I'll read aloud from my Bible. You can follow in yours. Peter says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen you love, though now you do not see him yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory in receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Such a great passage. All right, Josh prayed for us. Would you take a moment, say hello to your neighbor, greet someone new perhaps, and then you can have a seat. Imagine, didn't take you very long following and walking with the Lord before you discovered that there are paradoxes to the Christian life, paradoxes in our faith. One of them, having found the Lord, or maybe I'd say having been found by the Lord, uh, we still seek after him. If you've experienced that the, the closer that you have drawn to Christ, the more you realize uh, just how far away we are. Or similarly, the more that we desire to grow in holiness and purity and, and find ourselves in that place, and yet at the same time we realize just how sinful we are. There, there's these paradoxes to our faith. In fact, Jesus lays out several of them. He, he would say... If you want to be great, if you want to experience greatness in your life, the way that you and I do that is to become the servant of all. Right? If you want to go up, Jesus would say, then you, you should go down. If you want to be first, then learn to be last. He would say, if you really want to find your life, if you truly want to live, then learn to give your life away. Right, to, to die to self. He would say, if we want to experience richness in our lives, then we should learn to be generous. The Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. And there are many more. Strength is found, or not even found, it's perfected in our weaknesses, the Bible says. And here, Peter brings us in this section of verses from 6 to 9 to two more. These things that seem to be a paradox, perhaps even an oxymoron. The idea that we can rejoice even in our suffering. That there is such a thing in God's grace as good grief. And the other is that faith sees what our eyes cannot that, that we can see clearly and we can have vision even though we don't see it with our own eyeballs. 
And so it's these two that we will unpack this morning and see what God has for us. I draw your attention to verse 6, as we normally do. We'll make our way just unpacking each of these verses and these um, thoughts that he has. He says, in this you greatly rejoice. All right, we'll pause there. The very first question that arises when I read this and read this, the opening here, verse 6, in this, the question for me is, in what? To what is Peter addressing in this? What is this? In what do we greatly rejoice? Now, I, I would say a heartily amen if he said, we greatly rejoice in the 8th and the 18th and the 28th because at Blue Seal Ice Cream, it's double dip day, right? <laughs> Two scoops for the price of one. In that, we greatly rejoice. Well, I want to suggest to you that from the context that Peter is referring to what he has just told us from verses 1 through 5 to include his own introduction. The great grace of God and who the Lord is and who God is, and then in all that God has done for you and for me and, of course, for his original audience and all that God has provided, it's in that, in this wonderful fact that though you and I are strangers and exiles on earth, we are the elect of God. Although we're living as temporary residents, we are citizens of heaven. And God has chosen you. Christ has saved you. The Spirit is inside you that sanctifies you, that God has sealed us and promised us. We have abundant mercy. We have a living hope. We have life eternal. We have a guaranteed, reserved inheritance that awaits us with your name on it on the other side of heaven. We have the promise of God's power to preserve us and to perfect us to the day that we then arrive in heaven. And it's in this we can and should greatly rejoice. Amen? to praise the Lord. What gifts of grace God has given to us. These blessings that we have to every single one of us that name the name of Jesus Christ. See, what is true of you is true because it's true of God. And we had talked before why we took so much time to understand these things, because they're foundational. They provide a foundation base for us to understand the nature of God, the character of God. God's goodness and God's grace. That God has a plan and God has a purpose for our life. And we noted together that it's vital for us to grasp these things, and if I can use this word, for them to be galvanized, solidified in our hearts and our minds, our very soul. And now Peter is going to tell us why. Why? Because there will be times in your life that what you and I experience, hard things, dark days, rough roads, like life sucker punches you, that the experience that you have will seem apparently to contradict what we then read, what we believe, and what we know. And we'll have to reconcile those things. And if our foundation of faith, of who God is and his goodness and his character and his plan and purpose for you, if that is not solid, right, on the truth of God and based upon his word, then the trials of life and the storms of life, they will trip you up and sometimes they'll take you out. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus contrasts what he called the wise man and the foolish man. And he said of, of one that the person who heard him, and I would add, and obeyed him, Jesus likened to a wise man who built his house upon a rock. And when the typhoon came, the storm came and the wind came, it withstood. It endured. It remained standing. And he contrasts that to the person who would hear his word and then we'd add, and did not obey. 
that they were like a foolish person who'd build their house on sand. And so when the storm came, the house was destroyed. And Matthew says, well, Jesus says, and great was its fall. And so we, we took our time to go through those verses together because I, I think it's so important for us to have a, a firm grasp and a deep footing of the truth of God, of who he is and who we are in him. They're, they're key for us to be sustained through and, and, and still remain standing through the worst of life storms. And so it's because it, here's what Peter tells us plainly. Storms will come. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. And, and you and I will experience suffering and pain. And so, yes, we can greatly rejoice in the fact of who God is and all that God has done for us and who we are in the Lord, and we should in this greatly rejoice. But although now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that one statement is uh, packed with a lot of truths for us. Peter reveals some important things just in this one verse. Again, he'll develop it in greater detail for us, so let's just pull out some of the, the thoughts that we, you know, we, we can't at this time. Number one, it's just simple this, simply this. The, the Christian is not exempt from hardships. Just because you and I name the name of Jesus and we become a follower of Christ, along with that is not a get-out-of-trouble-every-time-you-encounter-it-free card. It doesn't exist. Maybe you already know that. You, we're, we're not kept from suffering. And suffering isn't kept from you. And, and Peter wants us to understand that suffering and pain and trials and being grieved, that, that it is a part. If I can even use this, to, it's a normal part, a regular part. It's an expected part of the Christian life. Because he'll come back to this. Later in chapter 4, he's going to say, my paraphrase, hey, you guys, don't freak out. Don't hit the panic button at the fiery ordeal that you're going through, as though some strange thing's happening to you, as though you're the only one, as this is an odd oddity in your life, that all of a sudden you're experiencing this, that you're being tested. And yet, you know, there are sadly, there are those who come to believe to be a follower of Christ meant or means, oh, all my problems are gone. Everything's going to be great. Maybe that was you at one time, or maybe you know some people like that. What happens? They're, they're shocked. They're surprised. Sometimes they're, they become dismayed and disgruntled and even disenfranchised. They thought, well, I, I thought... You know, everything's going to be great. And I want to stay in love. Who told you that? Because that, that's not what the gospel teaches. And so it's either then through poor teaching or through poor learning. And sadly, there are teachers, right? And there are churches who make such a great emphasis on, on health and wealth and prosperity, as though that is what it means then to be a follower of Christ. That that's the definition of Christianity. And what happens? It produces a weak and shallow faith that produces a weak and shallow follower. And so they experience something and then it seems to be at odds at what they were told or what they've come to believe. And when the circumstances then come their way, And they're varied. Anything from severe to a, a medical diagnosis. Disease. Death. Close relationship. Betrayal. Fracture. You know, the relationship breaks. A crisis hits. I mean, we all experience these things. Sometimes they're not even severe. Sometimes they're, they're 
I'd say they're minor. Someone said something mean to them. They experienced something bad, you know, in fellowship. If, if we have not been grounded in the word of God, if we're not anchored to the immovable truth of the person of Christ, those things can sweep us away. And people, what happens, they don't properly then process the pain and the disappointment. And when they don't, they arrive at the wrong conclusion. And their conclusion sometimes is, well, God doesn't care, or God is absentee, or God isn't powerful enough. Or sometimes they come to the conclusion, well, God isn't real then. And they decide, well, then God's people are fake and the church is phony. I mean, we're seeing it more and more today. I would say especially in the American church. Christians are, are, are well, so, I'll call them so-called Christians. I, I don't know they're, where they're at. But leaving their faith, the new term is deconstructing their faith. Deconstructing their Christianity. Such a weird term to me. I, mean, I understand it in my mind, but... It seems as though you have to deconstruct it because maybe the construction wasn't right in the first place. That the construction was faulty. Or the focus of their faith was built on something other than Jesus. That that wasn't the foundation, as the Bible says. And it wasn't upon the word of God. And so now, because of the experience they have, or the emotion they have, or the the hurt that they have, they conclude, well, Christianity is faulty. Listen, church family, I, I, I pray that we understand that when we come to faith, it's almost as though... The promise is quite the opposite. We, we will experience suffering. We will experience hurt. The Bible says if you and I want to live godly, we can expect there's going to be some persecution. People will come against us. I mean, there's another paradox of our faith. That living for Christ is exciting. It's an adventure. It is glorious. It is grand. It is the greatest high you and I could ever experience. But it is also exhausting at times. And there's times where uh, you know, the sheep will bite. And there are times where it will, you know, following Christ is a gut punch. Jesus said in John 16, These things I've spoken to you and me, that you may have peace. But in the world, you will have tribulation. That's usually not... Uh, the verse that we put on our coffee mugs or, you know, in the bathroom, you know, right? It's not your memory verse. You will have tribulation. But I love the rest of it because Jesus goes on to say, but do not fear. Do not lose heart for I have overcome the world. Amen. And so this verse just tells us very plainly, Peter just tells us, Trials and troubles and tribulations, they are a part of life. They are the construction materials that God uses to build our life. Number two, what we're reminded of or we're told here, he says, in this we greatly rejoice, though now for a little while. If you're taking note, number two, trials and troubles and suffering, they don't last forever. For such a time as this. For a little while. That, There's a light at the end of the tunnel, and it's not a train. Now, if you're like me, when I'm in the midst of suffering, when I'm in the midst of pain, I feel like time has stood still, and this is my lot forever. The reality is that sometimes suffering and pain can stay with us a long time. I mean, God's a realist. Let's be real. Sometimes it can even be for our lifetime. Do you guys know who Joni Erickson Tata is? If you don't, you can Google her later. 
Uh, she was 17 years old. You think about the, the worship team this morning, uh, 16, now 17 or 18? How old's Yudi? 14, 15? So, you know, the girls on stage this morning, all young teenagers. So Joni, at 17 years old, she was in this tragic car accident and left her paralyzed from the neck down. This past July uh, marked 55 years that she has been in a wheelchair. And God has used her in a mighty way. Again, if you're not familiar with her ministry, Joni and Friends, uh, J-O-N-I, encourage you to look that up later. But even in her through her paralysis and her accident, God has used her and has become a ministry to millions of others. And through her ministry, she, her tag, the tagline is sharing hope through hardship. And she gives her testimony, powerful, convicting. One of the things she said is that God transformed my heart. He changed my attitude and he showed me that there are more important things in life than walking. Most of our trials will not last forever. But even if God has ordained such for us, God's grace will always meet us where we're at. And Peter is going to remind us too that this life, this life, is not the totality of our life. We're just pilgrims passing through. We're temporary residents who experience temporary tribulations. And that's why it's important for us to keep an internal perspective on things. And that's why Peter's able to say, it's just now for a little while. God sees the whole picture of our life. And so it's good for us to come into these passages and to put on heaven's glasses and to realize, okay, my life, my eternal life extends far beyond this part of my life. God sees forever. And our view is so limited. And Paul has the same perspective. And I, and I love this portion. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verses 16 through 18. Let me read this to you. Paul says, Therefore, we don't lose heart. We don't freak out. We don't panic. Why? He says, Though the outward man person is decaying. That's a truism, right? (laughs) Go to the skin doctor. I'm decaying on the outward. My back goes out more than I do nowadays, right? So. <laughs> Yet our inner man, our inner person's being renewed day by day. Another portion says, right, from glory to glory. And here's what Paul says, for our momentary light affliction, our momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Really similar to what Peter is saying, right? The eyes of faith. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. And I love that passage. You know, those two terms that he uses for our momentary light affliction. Those are are relative terms. They're comparative. Momentary and light compared to eternal weight. Momentary means just for a moment, and light, well, light just means light. It's not that heavy compared to. In fact, Paul even says it's not even worthy to be compared You can't compare it. But it's the perspective that we can look at our troubles and our suffering and our pain and the things that you're going through. 
And God in his grace would say, hey, I, I see you. Put on, put on heaven's glasses to see as I see it. And so we get to be encouraged this morning to know it's for a little while. Now, I don't like this next phrase. He says, if need be. Rejoice, though, now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved. Here's number three, if you're a note taker. Sometimes suffering, you ready for this? Sometimes suffering is necessary. If need be. That's hard for me. My flesh doesn't like that. If you're like me, my, my flesh says, no, God, there's no need. Not for me, maybe for others. <laughs> I don't need to suffer and I don't need to hurt. I don't need to experience pain. I'm good. I have enough already. I, I still remember it. I'm good. And yet I, I think we all can agree. Again, if you've walked with the Lord for some time, there, there is this sanctified work that God wants to do in your life and in mine in your relationships, in your marriage, in your parenting, in your season of singleness. There's a, a work of grace that God wants to do in your heart. And at times, he needs and he uses suffering as the tool to do that refining work. When I was at the skin doctor, uh, just again for my small procedure, it, that doctor is the same doctor that did uh, surgery, it was minor surgery, on, on Christy, I think it was last year. Um, she had skin cancer on her cheek. And so he remembered her. He was asked how she was doing. Well, during that time, what happened was she had this growth, and so, you know, the doctor did a series of tests, and we're thankful that it didn't spread, but it was a small little tumor, but it had grown deep. And so he recommended surgery, and it's just, you know, outpatient, um, just showed up that day, and I got to watch. But, it, you know, he, he had the cut pretty deep, and, you know, felt confident he had pulled all the skin cancer out. And so the procedure in itself... Uh, wasn't too painful for me. Um, <laughs> he put a local you know, anesthetic uh, for Christy. But after it wore off, it, it became painful. You know, the, the after effect, the, the recovery was painful. Um, but the process was necessary. The process was important. If it would have stayed there, it would have just continued to grow. And so... The, the pain, if you will, was necessary in order for her to then experience health and healing. You know, the Lord does the same thing in our lives. There's times where it's painful in the process. It hurts. We don't like it. We wish it was not that. And yet God knows that it's necessary for our health and for our growth, for our development. I mean, how can we hold fast and even rejoice and then in the midst of our suffering? Here's the key that Peter has given us. The idea even that if it need be, you know what that, that represents? It represents that God knows. It represents that God's sovereign then. That God knows exactly what we need. And so just as God is sovereign and, and for, you know, he purposes for our good in verses one through five in all of our salvation. That God is sovereign in our salvation and he purposes good for us in those gifts that he gives us. Understand that God is sovereign and he purposes good even in your suffering too. It's not as though he's only purpose is good in the good things that we experience, that he's only sovereign in the good things that you and I experience. Well, that's true across the board. He's also sovereign when you're hurting, right? His intentions are still good, even when you're like, Lord, I'm, I'm done, I'm okay, like, it's time, like, I want a different class now. 
See, no, what we understand from this is that no suffering occurs without purpose. And the Bible says these amazing things about how God cares for us and sees us, and, he, and he's aware of every tear. Not just the number of hairs upon our head, but the Bible says that for every tear, he's aware of every tear that we shed and every affliction. And this is where it's hard, right? Because not just that he permits it at times, there's times where he has purposed it. And it's not just that he's allowed it, there's times where he's, he's actually ordained it for your good and his glory as necessary. If, if necessary, if need be. It's okay, God bless you. And it's difficult for us to fathom. It's hard. Especially if we're in the middle of the pain. We're in the midst of the storm. Yet Peter provides this perspective we can rest assured. God's sovereign through it. There's no senseless suffering for you as a follower and a child of God. Number four, what else do we realize even from this one verse? Well, we've been grieved by various trials. Each of us is going to experience different trials and we're going to grieve differently. I mean, just as we have a different place and lane in the body of Christ and we're a different place in our walk compared to others, there are times where the Lord will just use various degrees, and trials, and suffering, and hurts, and we'll respond differently. Peter tells us, Paul tells us, the writer of Hebrews says the same thing. There are a variety of trials that come our way. Some are big and some are small. And we, we make that comparison, right? We, we're the ones who generally deem, like, this is a big thing, this is a small thing. But you realize in God's perspective, it, it's all small. God would say, is my, is my arm too short that I can't help? How big is our God? So often it's, it's, it's our perspective. We think, oh Lord, this problem's so big. But we, we can be, and I appreciate this. I mean, we can greatly rejoice and also we can greatly be grieved. Those two things can exist at the same time. And we can grieve in a variety of ways. We can be disappointed. We can be dismayed and hurt. God doesn't expect us to ignore, discount our discomfort. And so we're grieved and we mourn and we cry and we cry out to the Lord and we say, Lord, this stinks. The idea is that we're not mastered by it. In First Samuel chapter 15, actually 16, the whole account extends. Uh, the prophet Samuel, God has called him and used him even from a young age. And, and God tells him to do something difficult for him. That he has to be the one to go to King Saul, who... He, Samuel liked. They, they had a close relationship. And God says, um, we're going to relieve Saul of command. Right? Conduct unbecoming a king. And, and we find that the entire ordeal took an emotional toll on Samuel, which is interesting. Because at the end of 1 Samuel 15, we're told he withdraws. He kind of withdraws from his normal circuit, his regular routines. I mean, arguably not even say he, he became depressed. And he just goes home. And he essentially just stays home. And he's there for a season. How long, we don't know. But he's mourning over the situation. And then God comes to Samuel after some time, and God comes to him and basically just says, Samuel, it's time to go. How long will you mourn? There's still work to do. 
get up and get going. Remember, God did the same thing with Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19. There's a season where he, he does become depressed. I mean, in fact, Elijah even says, Lord, I'm done. Like, take my life. I'm good to go. And he goes and he hides himself away in a cave. And, and the Lord would come to him. And, here's, and God just says, Elijah, what, what are you doing here? Ecclesiastes says there, there's a time to grieve. There's a time to mourn. God doesn't expect us not to have emotion and be disappointed and be sad. And God understands. But there's also a time where God doesn't want us to build a house in the valley of despair. Like we, we're just passing through. We can't live there. And sometimes people want to drop anchor in the valley of despair and just reside there. I, I, I want to say this in love. Life is tough. And life is not fair. And God knows. And you're entitled to every emotion that you experience. But you and I will do ourselves a great disservice if we sit and we sulk in our despair too long. Of course, that's relative. How, how long is too long? That's, that's between you and the Lord. But, but I do think sometimes we can expect God or others to, to coddle us long. And God wants to comfort you, but you know that God doesn't want to coddle us. See, what we, we understand from this, as we get to verse 7, is that the purpose of our trials, one of the purposes, is to mature us. It's that we would grow from our infancy to maturity. That we would get, in a sense, thicker spiritual skin. So that we're not so easily offended and that we don't then air our grievances on social media. And dare I say, you know, some of us, this is a good word for us. We need to grow up. Because we've adopted the, uh, the, culture, the cultural stance of the world where everything offends us. Right? That's the culture today. Everything, like everything offends them. And, and emotionally and spiritually, like we, God doesn't want us to be soft. God doesn't want us in a, a state of arrested spiritual development. And so in this, you and I can greatly rejoice knowing who God is and knowing who we are. And though, if need be, and sometimes it's needed for a little while, it's not going to last forever. You are grieved by various trials. Why? Verse 7. So that the genuineness of your faith, which Peter says, which is far more precious than gold, which eventually will perish, right? Because that's what he's going to tell us later. It's all going to burn, baby, in 2 Peter. Though that it's tested by fire, may then result, right, may end with the idea that it's found, it's purified. The result then is praise and glory and honor as we get to see the Lord. And so he provides the, the nature of our suffering, but now here's the necessity of it in verse 7, 8, and 9. The intended result that our faith would be proven and purified as your faith then is tested. And the treasure at the center of this is faith. It's your faith. And so really simply, when you go through a trial, remember one of the main reasons is that God wants to prove the genuineness of your faith. He doesn't want us to have a weak faith. He doesn't want us to have a shallow faith. He doesn't want you to have a superficial faith. 
And gang, I don't know if you want that. I don't think I want that. It's been said, a faith that it's not tested can't be trusted. I told you that story. Remember when I had kidney stones and the ambulance came and they brought out their interpretation of a gurney? It looked like a skateboard on a little stand. And I'm like, no way. I'm not getting that on that thing. I hadn't tested it. And so I did, I, but I, I still didn't put my full weight on it. I just put one leg and kind of use it as a scooter, you know. Oh, we can pull our full weight on the faith, our faith and trust in the Lord. Peter illustrates both the process and the value of our faith. He likens it to gold being refined in fire. You know, precious metals are purified by fire and intense heat. The Bible talks about how silver and dross is being purified. Gold here, heated. They fire it up in this kiln and all the impurities are burned off. Because of the weight, you know, the impurities and the different alloys, they'll separate. You'll be able to scrape it off and or burns off, and it just leaves a, a, a purified product. In the same way that, you know, that imagery, God uses trials, fiery ordeals, he's going to say, suffering in your life. He heats things up. Why? To purify us and to fortify us, to make us stronger. And it's often through the trials, isn't it, that it it helps us to distinguish then the genuine from the superficial. We we get to see, even our own, like, oh, here's an area of my life that I need to work on. You know, it's been said that trials are like the sun. Our hearts are like clay. They can either get hard or they can get soft. And, and And I do think that suffering and trials and these things that we go through, they, they do have a, a dual type of effect. Then the same thing we go through, that two things can happen. One, one is they, they, it's, it's revealing. It reveals a lot about where we are. My own walk with the Lord, my own maturity. Areas of weakness and areas of strength. But it also is re- Refining. You know, revealing one thing, you've heard that saying where people are like tea bags, put them in hot water and see what comes out. And so it reveals a lot, but, but also they, it can strengthen us and, and refine us. And so number six, if you're taking note, that's the point we'll make. One of the purposes of trials is, is to refine you, it's to strengthen your faith, to grow us. Like, like we would not know God is a God who comforts in all of our suffering unless you're suffering. Right? We, we, we read that, then the experience of God's comfort, we wouldn't experience that unless we needed comfort. Right? We wouldn't know that God is a God who provides unless you ever find yourself in a place of need. We wouldn't know that God is a God who heals unless you need healing. Unless you're sick and you're hurting. Right? We wouldn't know that God is a God who gives us a peace that surpasses understanding unless you're anxious and, and you're discomforted. It, it's suffering and it's life storms that allow us then to strengthen our faith. We get to see God in a greater you know, way. I, I, I like that account where Peter's on the boat, the disciples, remember the big storm came. It happened more than once, but in Mark chapter four, as the storm, this huge storm comes, the, the disciples, and, and interestingly, right, many of them are fishermen. That was their backyard. That was their hood, their barrio, the Sea of Galilee. And yet this huge storm comes and it says they thought they're going to die. They thought they're going to perish. So this was no regular storm, right? This is like category super typhoon five, 
Anybody remember what Jesus is doing while they're on the boat? Sleeping. Right? They're all freaking out, and Jesus is sleeping. In fact, they go and they have to wake him up, and here's what they say, don't you care? Because their experience didn't seem to match what they knew. Again, that happens to us, right? It's not because he didn't care. It is because he knew they're going to get to the other side just like he said they would. He told them that was going to happen. The disciples heard it, but their experience was contrary to what Jesus said. So they come to the wrong conclusion. Jesus gets up and he rebukes the storm and then he rebukes them. And here's what he says to them. Why didn't you believe? Ye of little faith. Right? It was a faith-building exercise. Gospel, Matthew's gospel tells that the disciples were blown away because Jesus blew off the storm with his command. And then they, their response is, who is this that even the wind and the storm obey him? Now, they already, they already knew that Jesus was a miracle worker. They've already seen him do incredible things. But they hadn't seen him do that. See, the storm in itself provided an opportunity for them to see Jesus in a new way. To trust him in a new way. For their own faith to be strengthened in a brand new way. And gang, when the Lord takes us through storms and trials, that we get to see the Lord in a new way, in a growing way. purpose of it all? To be found to the praise and the honor and the glory, the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, trials allow us to glorify God as we trust him by faith. You know, it's been said that God's not primarily interested in your happiness, you've heard that before, but in your holiness. I think that's true, but, I, but I'd add this, that the ultimate purpose of God's work in our life isn't happiness, now, I would even say it's not even holiness. The ultimate purpose of God in your and my life is bringing God glory. Well, he can do that through our purity, he does that through our holiness, he can do that through our happiness, and he can even do that through our hardship. That God would be glorified. So we can glorify God when things are great, and we can glorify God when things are not great. And suffering provides an opportunity for us to glorify God. Because we can trust him. It's easier said than done. Romans 8, 28 reminds us, though, that God's purpose, that all things he will work together for good. For our good and his glory. Verses 8 through 9. Whom having not seen you love, though you don't see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible. We don't even have words to express it. Full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter just tells us plainly, we don't, we don't see Jesus physically now, yet by faith we can see him. By faith we can see him at work in our life. And it's that genuine proven faith that's evidenced by this. These things that he lists for us. We don't see him and yet we love him. So it's evidenced in our, our, our love for the Lord. Don't, we don't see him face to face. We can still say, I love Jesus. <clears throat> we believe him, though we don't see him. We can still trust God at his word. And we can still rejoice with joy inexpressible. The idea is that we don't even have words for it. And certainly we've received salvation as we've trusted in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary. So gang, when you and I are tempted then to think that God doesn't care, or God's abandoned you, or God's forgotten you, or God's not real because of your present suffering, it's faith that tethers us to the promise of Scripture and not our experiences. And what Peter essentially is saying, gang, we walk by faith, not by sight. Do not let go of what you do know in light of what you don't know. And so often we make that poor exchange. Why is this happening? Why me? Look what's happening. 
and we let go of, of the truth of God's goodness and grace in our life. Jesus is no longer walking with Peter physically. Yet I do believe that when Peter gets arrested later on in his life in Acts chapter 12, he goes through his own version of a storm. God sends an angel to bust him out. Do you know what we find Peter doing? Anybody remember what Peter's doing in jail? <coughs> Sleeping. He's asleep. In fact, the angel has to wake him up like we wake up our teenagers. Get up. How? Chained between two guards. Possibly his life's going to be taken from him. He's fast asleep. Where did he learn that from? He learned to trust the Lord by faith. Gang, I pray we'd learn the same. Amen? Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word, your grace, your goodness in our lives. Father, we pray that as we consider trials and suffering, we thank you that Lord, by your grace, you allow them in our lives that we might have an opportunity to glorify you. That your intent for them are building materials for our faith to refine us, to strengthen us. Lord, they reveal, they, they help to prove the genuineness of our trust in you. And Lord, I do pray if anybody's going through a difficult time this morning that you would comfort them and be with them. Lord, to know that it, it won't last forever, yet sometimes it's necessary. And Lord, through it all, that you can be glorified. And so I thank you, Lord, we thank you for these truths this morning. We love you, Jesus, in your name we pray, amen. 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 All right, gang, I pray you have a great rest of the day. God bless you.